0: I'm one of the leaders here, and I am, I'm really thankful to say that, and um, I want to jump right in today, actually, with what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to go through a couple passages in the Bible, and then we'll pray. So if you have a Bible with you, turn to Genesis chapter 32, and also Genesis chapter 25. Put your thumb in chapter 25. Verse 29, and we'll start in Genesis chapter 32, verse 9, and we'll put the words up on the screen. Oh, I just looked up and saw myself there. (laughs) That's surreal. And I know what you're all seeing, and I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh my. Genesis 32, verse 9, it says, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of all deeds, of the steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. How many of us could say that? For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two camps, or what he's saying basically in a sense is that my family has grown exponentially. Verse 11, please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me. That's quite a swerve, but if you have a brother, you understand that prayer. He might attack me, but you said, verse 12, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. How can he in the same prayer go from, I'm so thankful for everything that you've done for me, I'm so, I'm so thankful for everything that you've given me, and I'm so thankful that you've called me back to my home country In that same prayer saying, but I think my brother wants to attack me when I come back. How did we get to this place? Flip over to chapter 25, verse 29. We get a little story that tells us, once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau, his brother, came in from the field where he'd been hunting and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted Have you ever been so hungry that you made decisions that you normally wouldn't make under different circumstances? (laughs) You might say something or do something that you regret later. Well, Jacob said to him, well, I'll give you some of this stew, verse 31, but sell your birthright to me now. Which we don't really have a parallel of what the birthright is in our culture. The, the, The simplest way we can break it down, and it isn't quite... Good enough to describe what the birthright meant to their culture, but the simplest way we can break it down is is the physical inheritance and the spiritual blessing from their father. That would have been the birthright, and it actually belonged to the older brother who in their culture would have received two-thirds of their father's wealth at his passing. Now Esau, though Jacob and Esau are actually twins, Esau is technically the oldest brother because he came out first. And so he is the one who would receive the birthright and Jacob says, sell it to me and I'll give you some of this stew. And Esau said, I'm about to die of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and he negotiates that he's gonna get the entire inheritance due to Esau upon their father's death for this pot of stew that he's cooking. And Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew it doesn't even sound like that great of a stew. It's lentils. And he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So we go from that to multiple things to decades later. Now Jacob is afraid that his brother wants to kill him. And I want to use this story to talk about the subject of bitterness today. And if I were to give a title to this message, it would be Don't Let It Stew. but I won't give a title to this message. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're so thankful that we have the gift of your word to give us examples, to give us instruction, to give us direction for our lives, correction for our journey, and correction for our missteps and healing for our souls. I pray that you would use the words from the pages of the Bible today to speak to us. I pray that you would use my feeble words, that the Holy Spirit would somehow make them where they fail, you would still have success in our hearts and in our minds today. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jacob and Esau, they're twin brothers, they they have this moment where Jacob sells his birthright or Esau sells his birthright to Jacob, and this animosity begins between them. Well we we learn from the Bible that that Jacob is the favorite of his mother, Rebekah, and Esau is the favorite of his father, Isaac, and so all throughout their childhood, there seems to be maybe this tension between the two of them. Um, Esau is Isaac's favorite because he's a hunter, he's a man's man, he's tough. He goes out into the field and he comes back and he smells like the woods, and he always brings home good meat for his father to eat that he's that he's hunted himself and that he cooks himself for his father. And Jacob, well, what does he do? Well, he cooks stew, and and so mom likes Jacob better. Maybe he's helping out in the kitchen more, and so mom likes Jacob dad likes Esau. And when Isaac is about to die, he says, I, I, I think what I need to do is, is call my son in, my son Esau, and give to him the blessing of his birthright. So the way that worked in their culture is the father would call his son to him on his deathbed and he would place his hands on his head And he would give a blessing to him, and he would just say, God's gonna give you these things. It was a prayer, and it was also a statement of, these are the things you're gonna get from me in a sense as well. And so he says in this moment, in his final days, I I wanna call my son Esau in because I I wanna give him his birthright. So he says to his wife, hey, it's time to call Esau in to let him know what's coming to him. And so Rebecca says, okay, that's fine, I'll go get him. So Rebecca goes to Jacob. And she said, your father is about to give the birthright. Remember the one that you negotiated for? (laughs) Your father's about to give that to your brother Esau. So I'm going to go tell him to go out into the field and and hunt for his father, a meal, so he can come back and give it to him. While he's away, what we're going to do is, Jacob, we're going to take some of Esau's clothes and put them on you so you smell like him. We're going we're gonna to put some wool around your arms so your arms are hairy like the man's man that, that Esau is. And you're going to go to your father who's so old that he can't really see now and he's so weak that he can't fully open his eyes. And you're going to tell him after I've cooked this meal that you hunted it and you're bringing it to him for your birthright. So this happens, Jacob goes in to his dying father. Now picture this, he's going in to the deathbed of his father and he's lying to him. He sits at his bedside and he says, here I am, it's your son Esau, and Isaac's no fool. He says, Esau, you sound like Jacob. He's like, no, 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 it's, it's me, it's, it's Esau, it's Esau. And Isaac says, "Well, well, come here, let me smell you. He smells him you smell like Esau, you smell like the woods, you smell like the field, you smell like you've been out hunting. Maybe it is Esau. You sure do sound like Jacob. Come here, give me, give me a hug. And he feels his arms. It's like, well, you're hairy like Esau. You smell like Esau. If it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it must be Esau. And so there's Jacob lying to his father. And he says, okay, Esau, he places his hand on his head and he gives the blessing that belonged to Esau to his son Jacob. Now, the interesting thing about Jacob is that when the two boys are born, though Esau comes out first, Jacob comes out and the Bible tells us that he's grabbing onto the heel of his older brother. And so they name him Jacob, which means heel grabber, literally. What if we still named our kids that way? <laughs> Pleased to meet you, screams his head off at night. So, so so happy we could be acquainted, eats me out of house and home. What if we <laughs> named our kids like that? We don't, thank God. But, but they did back then, and, and, and those phrases carried with them different connotations, too. The phrase heel grabber carried with it the connotation that a man would be deceitful or scheming. And we find that that's exactly who Jacob is, a deceitful schemer who has schemed his way into his brother's inheritance While their father was on his deathbed, he lied to their father. Well, Esau gets back, and as you can imagine, he goes in to take the meal to his father, Isaac. And can you just picture, if it's a movie, if Isaac hasn't already lost all the color, it's going away now. As his face becomes pale with the realization that, oh no, I was right. That was That was Jacob. So now he's having to wonder or struggle with, I just gave away Esau's birthright to his younger brother, and my son just lied to me on my deathbed. Once Esau finds out what happens, he says to his father, well, don't you have any kind of blessing for me? And Isaac's like, pretty much, I I mean, I blessed him with everything there was because I thought he was you. You getting? barely them, and he gives him a little bit of a blessing, and Esau walks away from that and tells his mother, I'm going to mourn my father after he passes, and after my father passes, I'm going to kill my brother. And so Rebecca goes to Jacob, and She's about to lose Isaac, and she doesn't want to lose her beloved son, Jacob, as well. And so she encourages him to flee. Why don't you go move to live with my brother? He lives in another land. Go, go live with him. He'll take care of you. You'll be safe there. Esau won't get to you, and you'll survive. So Jacob moves away. He goes to live with his uncle. And all the while, you can just imagine Esau growing more and more bitter stewing over this, if you will, so many years. And now he's got all this time to think about it, and he doesn't get the opportunity to see his brother to actually think about all the good times maybe they had. And so he's spending all of this time plotting. If I had that much time, oh, I'd come up with a real good plot. (laughs) A real good plot. My Google search history would be subject to an inspection by Department of Homeland Security. Like, (laughs) if I had that much time to think about what I would do to get back at him. And so decades go by. Decades go by, and Jacob has, he's living with his Uncle, he's, he's helped him grow his farm, and he's taken on a leadership role on the farm. And now he has 12 sons and a daughter. His family has grown. And once again, through some scheming, he gets himself into trouble with his uncle even. And his uncle's like, man, you got to go. So here's a man who who had to leave his home as a young man because of his scheming and deceit, and now as a grown man with his own family and, and leadership over half of essentially what's a corporation at that time, he through his own deceit and scheming is being kicked out of there again, and he has nowhere else to go but home with the hope that maybe by now Esau will have chilled out a little bit. Maybe he's gotten time to count to 10 <laughs> and let his anger subside. And so he decides he's gonna take a trip back home. And it's an interesting thing that he does. He, uh, once he learns that Esau has gotten wind of him coming to meet him again, and that Esau is coming with 400 men, he realizes, I think, I think my brother's gonna kill me. <laughs> Hence the prayer, I think my brother is coming to attack me here in chapter 32. Now he reminds God of this promise. You said I would make a great nation out of you. If my, if my brother kills me, that's not gonna happen. So he begins to think of these different things, like, what, okay, okay, what could I do maybe to try and uh, uh, lessen the blow? Okay, here's what I'll do. I'll bring my kids with me as we go out to meet Esau, which seems like a great idea, going to meet an army of 400 angry men, I'll take my kids with me. And maybe that will change their mind. Another interesting thing that happens is that that very same night that Jacob prays this prayer, he wakes up in the middle of the night and there's a man by him, which if that just happened to me and there's this random dude, I would do exactly what Jacob did and get into a wrestling match with him. (laughs) And so he begins to wrestle with this person that we find out is actually an angel. And he wrestles with him. All night long. And in the middle of that wrestling match, it, eventually at some point, the angel just touches Jacob's hip and pops it out of socket. And for the rest of his life, he limps. So now picture this here's Jacob, who's decades older than the last time Esau saw him. He's got his 13 children with him, and he's limping. <laughs> this is a kind of a pathetic picture that Esau would see. in the next day when he sees him, and we don't know what happened. We don't, we, don't, we don't get the inside story. In that moment when he saw him, did God change Esau's heart? Did God remove bitterness from Esau's heart in that moment when he saw him? Had he done a work in his heart? over the years that they'd been apart. We don't know. We can't, we, we don't really get a picture of that. I can imagine, though, that maybe in that moment, God had changed his heart. Haven't you had that similar thing happen where maybe you were on your way to tell somebody what it really is and on your way to tell them God stopped you or distracted you or put different words in your mouth? At one point in time, I worked a retail sales job And there was a person who I didn't like, who was a customer, who always complained. And one day, I decided I was going to tell this person, maybe you need to shop at another store then. And so I did. And I became the hero. (laughs) Because no one liked him. And this guy turns to me, he makes a comment about me being smart, and then adds a colorful word on the end of that. And I opened my mouth to say to him, well, I opened my mouth, and here's what I said. Let me get you my business card. So to say, you can contact me anytime we can talk about this. What I really opened my mouth to say was, let me give you my address. I get off at 5 o'clock. We can talk about this like real men at my home. I opened my mouth to say that, and somehow the words, let me get you my business card, came out of my mouth instead. God replaced the words in my mouth in that moment. I can only see that's what's happening here with Esau. Maybe not, maybe he did it over the several years, but in that moment, something changes so that where Jacob believes he's going to be killed by his brother, his brother gives him grace. And if you were able to listen to Todd Tuggle's message, Last week, you would remember that the grace he spoke of was also, the grace that Todd spoke of last week was also spoken of multiple times in the Old Testament. And he used this word, ken, to describe the favor that people would give one another or that God would give his people. And that's the same word that Jacob uses when he comes to Esau and says, I want you to show me favor. I want you to show me ken. I want you to show me grace. And Esau does. And they reconcile and they become brothers again. And the animosity's gone, there's no longer a fear, is Esau going to kill me? But all of this time, there's no communication between them because of bitterness. Whether it's perceived on Jacob's end that Esau has or whether it's literal that we can assume Esau still had because he never reaches out to Jacob either. And bitterness is often caused by anger, or resentment. Many times from having something happen to us where it makes us sad and really hurts us, or we realize that the thing that occurred to us was actually an injustice. Like this was a thing that was wrong, and I'm, I'm right to be angry about it. Esau is right to be angry at Jacob because of what he'd done. He lied to their father on his deathbed And he stole from him. He's right to be angry about him. Doesn't doesn't bitterness often start with us being right? Doesn't it start with me being able to say, I I was wronged and I deserve justice. And until I get justice, I'm gonna treat this person differently. That's often the the cause of bitterness. Now, what I'd like for us to do today is, is... do one of two things as we talk about bitterness, because there will be two groups of us, I think, in the room as we're talking about it. Some of us will instantly target other people and think, oh yeah, oh yeah, Clarence is a bitter person. Jerome is a bitter person. We we know that that they're bitter. And it's easy for us to do that anytime we hear a sermon, but especially on something like this. But what I'd like for us to do today, if we're targeting other people, is to maybe look inward and say, okay, maybe Clarence really is a bitter person, but maybe I'm a bitter person too. Maybe I could look within and and see some of this within me. And then then some of us may, may have this reaction where as we're talking about it, we'll realize, oh, I am a bitter person. And we'll be overwhelmed with guilt and shame. And we'll think about the people that we've been bitter against. And if that's us, I want us to, to focus upward on Jesus. To so take our eyes off of ourselves and our eyes off of the people that maybe we've offended or who have offended us. And, and just look to Jesus for him to remove that shame from us and to heal us. Now, there have been psychological studies about bitterness that, that would show that it is very costly to us on a personal level, uh, that it can, it can cost us our health, it can, it can damage our metabolism, some studies suggest. And one of these psychologists has given us a few different things to, to look at to consider uh, how we can identify bitter people. And, and what I want us to do is not think, okay, how can I d- identify bitter people? But how can I identify if I am a bitter person? So I'm just gonna read through a few of these things. Bitter individuals tend to have combative interactions with many people. Every issue has to be a fight. Every hill has to be one to die on. Pastor Josh has said before, conflict is inevitable. Combat is optional. Bitter individuals tend to have combat with many people. Bitter individuals break with what is expected socially and developmentally from normal adults, whatever normal means, but I can say this, if I'm the only person in the room that thinks I'm behaving correctly and everybody else is like, whoa, Joe, they used to say of me, don't get Joe started. (laughs) If I'm the only person who thinks I'm right, I may need to consider, am I acting out of a place of bitterness? Bitter people tend to engage in passive aggressive behavior. Now, I have been bitter before, and I am an active aggressive person. I prefer active aggression over passive aggression, even when I'm happy. So we can't just lump that into that. Uh, But passive aggression could be a sign of bitterness. Bitter individuals often operate from a blaming and non-empathetic perspective everything is everyone else's fault. I, I had, I had no part in this and I can't understand why they would. Okay. If I, if I fall into one of those, maybe, maybe what I need to do is examine my heart and say, am I bitter? Because it's costly. It's going to cost me sleep. It's going to cost me maybe good health. It's definitely going to cost me Relationships. It's costly for Jacob. We see in chapter 32, verse 14, that he sends 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, and 20 rams. He sends a whole bunch of cattle on with him to meet Esau, it's costing him economically to try to repair the bitterness that has taken place. And it will for sure cost us emotionally, but greater than the emotional cost that comes with bitterness for ourselves, which is great, greater than the the physical cost that comes with bitterness for ourselves is the spiritual cost and the toll that it takes on others. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, chapter 14, chapter 12, verse 14, that we are to strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it, many become defiled. So bitterness isn't just something that defiles me, but it defiles Many people, and it becomes a curse because as soon as I become bitter with someone or something that's happened to me, I am not going to keep it to myself. What we do is we take it and we spread it around and we talk to other people. Would you believe what so-and-so did to me or would you believe what so-and-so said to me? Whilst we're doing that, we will church it up a little bit and say that we're being transparent but what's really happening is we're planting seeds of destruction that will grow into roots of bitterness for other people. Esau and Jacob, they reconciled. They're brothers again. They go and they're able to live together in the land, but hundreds of years later, when the descendants of Jacob, who at that time are called the nation of Israel— meet the descendants of Esau who are called the nation of Edom while the Israelites are traveling through the wilderness on their way to the land God had promised to them. They ask the Edomites, Esau's descendants, can we pass through your land so we can get to the destination God is giving to us? And the Edomites say, no, we don't want anything to do with you people. So the bitterness in Esau that may have died in that moment where he reconciles with his brother Jacob extends through multiple generations. It's not just an issue of, of, am I damaging myself? It's an issue of, is my bitterness destroying the church and ruining those around me? And the answer to that is always yes. Yes. Now, uh, for a moment, not for a moment, am I suggesting that when we're wronged or especially abused, that we should just toss it aside and for the sake of peace, let it go. But what I am saying is this, is that when we are wronged and when we are offended, we should definitely think twice before we talk about it to another person. And we should definitely check our words because one day I may go back to reconcile with the person I'm bitter against. But the people I've spread my bitterness to will never do that. And now many are defiled because I've gone around sharing for the sake of transparency what has happened to me. Now there's a healthy way to do that. And one of the ways is suggested by Jesus actually is that when you are offended by someone, you go first to that person. And then if that person is unwilling to reconcile with you, there's a process by which you can go through to try and correct it. But he says, go to that person first Most of the time what we do when we're bitter is we go to another person that we trust. I know I can trust you. I'm only telling you this because I I know that I can trust you, okay? This can't go any further. You know when we say that, this can't go any further? (laughs) It always goes further. It always does, especially when it's something juicy like that. And so now many people become defiled. Because we let bitterness take root. So, how do we how do we get over this? Well, if, if I'm bitter right now, here's, here's what I need to do. Here, here, let, let's think about this. And after we've looked at what a, a bitter person can be and what bitterness can do, if I'm a bitter person, step one is to repent. To, to turn away from that mindset and to ask God to change me. Repent of the bitterness. Step two is to attempt to reconcile. Now, here's what I've learned, is that every person I've been offended by doesn't need to know I've been offended by them in order for me to have a relationship with them. Because I would be talking to a lot of y'all. A <laughs> kid, mostly. But But isn't that true? Like, we would have conversations with multiple people if we felt like we had to to tell them everything they did wrong to us in order to reconcile. Sometimes we don't need to do that. Sometimes we're able just to get over it and actually do this thing that the Bible calls forgive. I don't know. We struggle with that word, so maybe we don't know what it means. But, but actually realizing that something wrong was done to me and I deserve justice but because of what Jesus has done for me and the example that he's given to us by being the one who never did any wrong and yet was laid upon a cross for my sin for the sake of forgiving me we have that example to say okay I may have been wronged I I may be in a place where where I am just in seeking retribution but what God calls for us to do is forgive. And that means we don't make people pay for the wrongs that they've done to us. We don't make people pay for the ways that they've offended us. I know this is very nuanced, and it's not just as simple as that, but we, we could talk for hours about this subject and the, the nuances within it, and I'm running out of time, so I'll only take another hour to go through it. No, but but what What I'm suggesting is that that I know what will happen today is that the Holy Spirit will speak to some of us. Maybe I'm a bitter person and he wants to set me free. That's what Jesus does. He sets us free. The one in whom no root of bitterness ever grew, he's the answer. He's the one we look to. And if we, like Jacob, have to wrestle with him all night long to get healed. And even if we limp figuratively for the rest of our lives, after we've gotten through this, it's worth it to be whole. It's worth it to keep God's people unified. It's worth it to maintain relationship and love with each other because that's what God calls us to. Maybe I'm a bitter person and I need God to heal me. Maybe I'm the person who's made a bunch of people bitter. And all I can say is, I should just stop being such a jerk. And that's a different message for a different day. But I think God wants to speak to each of us because we've all experienced this some way. None of us is perpetually unoffended. We've all been offended by someone or something, and in different ways, it hurts us. Some of us deeper, deeper, some of us not so deep, but we've all had to struggle with this opportunity to become bitter. And Jesus truly places before us the choice. Am I going to choose my own opportunity for justice and let that person suffer in my mind over and over and over again? Or am I going to look at Jesus suffering for that sin against me on the cross and say what he said, Father, Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I'm going to pray and and ask God to speak to us and to change us, to heal us and to make us whole and to set us free from any of these chains of bitterness. That's truly what it feels like. It's like you're walking around, with heavy chains wrapped around your neck and tied to a post somewhere. And you can only go so far from it. And Jesus has come to set us free from those things. He wants us to be free. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are so thankful that you have come to set us free. We're so thankful that we have freedom in you, Jesus, to let go of things that plague our hearts and our minds, to let go of things that that tempt us to become bitter, to let go of things that have truly been done against us and are wrong, but that you would be calling us to forgive. Lord, for each of us, there's something different, and you know what that is in all of our hearts. And so I pray that you will do what you do really well and use the sword that is the Bible your truth, and perform a surgery on our hearts to remove any bitterness that's taken root. Lord, may we find ourselves rooted and grounded in love, growing up as people who are connected to you. We love you. We thank you that These things are easy for you. They're so hard for us, Lord. We can't do it on our own. It's so, it's impossible for us, but they're easy for you. So we look to you to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at Rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, Find past messages and podcasts or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you.